This is the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health, exploring a wide variety of medical and wellness issues for older adults and their families. Here's your host, Jason Alderman. All right, we are doing part two of Heart Health with Clover's own Dr. Kumar Damarajan. Kumar is a geriatric cardiologist. He is our chief scientific officer here at Clover Health. Kumar, welcome back. Thanks. Happy to we're, be here. We're talking again about heart health. We talked a lot about it last time, a lot about exercise. Can we talk about diet? That seems to be a really important part. I know it's something that people of all ages, and particularly senior citizens, care about. I want to focus on one that I've been hearing about forever, which is salt and fat. Those are like the, the twin sins for heart health and things to be avoided at all costs. I know in some circles, you you, you get dirty looks from your friends if you grab the salt shaker or order French fries. What's up with fat and salt? Should we be worried? I think the picture has gotten a little bit more complicated. So let's start with fat. It used to be avoid all fat at all costs, as you said. But really, I think over time, we've understand understood more that there are different types of fats. Mm. And some of those fats are truly not good for you. On the extreme side, you may have heard of something called trans fats. You know, whole cities and swaths of the world have banned trans fats. Yeah, these are like the things that I like find in my Twinkies or, or my Cheez-Its, right? Hopefully you're not having too many Twinkies. <laughs> and actually Cheez-Its, so a lot of our food supply trans fats are taken away from because they're so bad. But I, it is something that we should be on top of and frankly avoid, right? So that's at the extreme. Okay. I can't imagine trans fats ever being good. Okay. Right. Then let's talk about saturated fats, right? You've probably heard of that category yeah. of fats. I don't think I get the difference, though, to be honest. Yeah. And so all of these fats have different chemical structures, right? And they have, you know, the little molecules that make up a fat have different interactions within them, right? And so let's go through the categories. So there's trans fats, saturated fats, monounsaturated fats, polyunsaturated fats, I think you're making uh, some of these up. No, I'm not. Oh. I'm not. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> so without going too much into the chemical details, just know that the way those molecules stick together are different in those different hmm. categories of fats, right? And, you know, on the one hand, you know, trans fats are not healthful at all. Avoid. Got it. On the other extreme, the polyunsaturated and monounsaturated. So monounsaturated, the frequent example is olive oil. Okay. Yeah. Polyunsaturated canola oil okay. and oils like that. All right. Saturated, you know, the typical example might be animal fats. Okay. Lard. Butter? Butter has saturated okay. fats within it. So I think that's a really great question because animal fats, you know, and butter comes from milk, obviously, right. they tend to be saturated in most cases. All right. Trans fats are often chemically produced, right? So that's the reason we should just not be in our food chain, frankly. But saturated come from animals and, you know, monounsaturated and polyunsaturated tend to be plant-based fats, okay. right, from an olive oil or other, other plants. And what we know is that mono and polyunsaturated fats tend to be more healthful than animal-based fats, saturated fats. And so I think the real recommendation here for me is if you can substitute a plant-based fat and use that instead of an animal-based fat, you're probably going to be rewarded for that. So rather than using butter with your bread, maybe use olive oil, right? If you're going to cook rather than cooking with, you know, with butter, cook with canola oil, 
And the reason is, you know, those plant-based fats seem to be more healthful for you, right? And the reason I think where we have good data here and is something called the Mediterranean diet. You may have heard about it, but really it's a diet that's really high in plant-based foods, right? So vegetables, fruits, nuts, legumes, it's high in plant-based fats. So, or not high, but it'll use plant-based fats. So it's olive oil, right? Mediterranean diet come from the olive rather than butter. And then the animal products tend to not be uh, red meats, but they tend to be fish or poultry, right? And so, and, and there's very good data actually from randomized studies published in the best medical journals, like the New England Journal of Medicine and JAMA, these really in the Lancet, these really high quality medical journals showing that folks who take a Mediterranean diet or even components of it, more nuts rather than, you know, an animal fat, you know, olive oil rather than butter, they're less likely to have heart attacks and strokes. And it might actually help your cognition, right? And so I think there's, you know, strong data that is saying, you know, really plant-based food, natural, less processed food is generally a good thing. So that, that I think it, in a nutshell is the fat story. Let's get to the salt. Wait, can I, can yeah. I ask? I want to hear about salt. Can I ask a question? For, so for years, I, I'm a child of the 70s. I, I, I grew up with commercials about how margarine was better than butter. It was a healthy choice to switch to margarine instead of butter. Is that still true? I don't know, to be honest. I, I think I don't think there's compelling data out there to say one is better than uh -huh. the other. I think some of the margarines in the past had other components to it that may not be the most healthful, right? And so, you know... I would go with, you know, a plant-based canola oil, olive oil. You know, if there are plant-based butter-like products that are out there, I can't claim to know all of them. They are generally good, but read the label, okay. obviously. And I think the, you know, general rule stands that if you can't, you know, pronounce the ingredients or have no idea what those ingredients are, best to avoid if possible. Got it. All right, salt. Salt. So I think the story on salt has not changed to the extent that the story on fat has. Right? Okay. And so the current recommendations in general are really try and get no more than a gram and a half of, it's not salt, it's really sodium. Okay. It's the, you know, salt is sodium chloride and it is the sodium part when we say gram and a half. That's really hard to know. Yeah, I don't know what, what is a gram is. and a yeah. half, right? I think just the standard is just trying to minimize it, right? Okay. And so how do you minimize salt? You know, you avoid using canned foods. You avoid having foods cured with tons of preservatives in them. They're very high in salt. Frankly, you know, fast food or food in restaurants, they tend mm -hmm. to have tons of salt in them. Why? Because salt tastes good, mm -hmm. right? And the reason why I think the story on salt hasn't changed as much is because it's been clear for some time, the higher the amount of sodium you take in your diet, the higher your blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And the higher your blood pressure, the higher your risk of heart attack, stroke, mm -hmm. kidney problems, you know, it goes on and on and on. But one thing which I think most people don't know about to make this a little bit more complicated, but in a good way, is that the studies actually have shown it's not just the amount of salt that drives blood pressure or sodium, to be more precise. It's really the ratio between sodium and potassium. I don't you even probably know, that know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so salt or sodium we just talked about is in a lot of foods. Right. And it's often in the foods when you buy them. So it's not just to be clear. It's not about did I add salt when I cook or did I add salt at the dinner table? Most of the salt, it's there when the food comes to you, whether that's in a restaurant, a can of beans or whatever. 
right? So really it's getting as upstream as possible and getting food with as less, least amount of salt coming in and then cooking with that, that much salt. And then when you get to the table, not adding a ton of salt okay. while you're there. Right? Okay, right. I get that. So that's a salt story. But potassium is another nutrient that you get it in vegetables, you get it in fruits. Yeah. You've probably heard that bananas have a lot uh, of I think sodium. that's the one thing I can think of, yeah. But pretty much all fruits have sodium, uh, potassium, excuse okay. me. Yogurt has a lot of potassium. And really, you want to minimize the sodium, so minimize the salt, and take in as much potassium as possible. And that ratio of sodium to potassium has a more powerful impact on your blood pressure than just your sodium intake. Huh. So that could be one of the reasons why eating lots of fruits and vegetables, uh, diet, lower blood pressure. So even if they were taking in sodium, they're kind of eating the other good thing that's sort of balancing out that effect of the sodium. How, so, so wait, I, and I want to be clear, I'm yeah. not saying you know, eat a lot of potassium and because of that, you can eat a lot of sodium. I'm just telling you the relationship is a little bit more complicated and it's a great idea to maximize your soda, uh, your potassium. So it, it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like you're just giving us another reason to eat fresh fruits and vegetables, that it just provides yet another benefit to avoiding the processed and staying with the fresh. Right. And I, I don't think we often realize how much fruits and vegetables we need to eat to meet our, the dietary guidelines. So Mediterranean diet, it's seven to 10 servings a day of fruits and vegetables, right? So it's not, you know, I had an apple, yeah. which is great. Eating an apple is still better than not eating an apple, but it's really making it a part of the food we eat regularly. And, you know, I know when um, Michelle Obama was creating, as you probably know, you know, she was very interested in improving the food, for example, that kids were eating in yeah. schools, yeah. right? And the question was, there's something called a food pyramid. Yeah, right. I remember they redid it. They redid it recently. Exactly. They redid the food pyramid. But the thing I really liked was they had this plate image. Imagine a plate. It's a circle. And it's divided into four quadrants, right? So two lines divided in four. Actually, you want the vegetables and fruit parts to be literally two of those four quadrants. Uh, Right? So it's not just a little bit. Yeah. It's a major source of uh -huh. your diet on a regular basis, meal by meal. Wow. That's what I think, but that the data shows that that actually helps us. It helps us feel better, avoid you know, heart attack strokes, and probably live longer. The potassium piece, which was news to me, as most of almost everything in our conversation winds up being news to me, I'm just containing my surprise as we go along. The potassium was a surprise. Should I take a, you know, yes, I should be eating more fruits and vegetables. Should I be taking a multivitamin with potassium? Does that have value in it? It's a really good question. The data on multivitamins for people who have a decent diet already is not that great, mm -hmm. right? There are specific populations, so I'm not poo-pooing multivitamins, you know, folic acid for mm -hmm. women who are pregnant or mm -hmm. considering pregnancy. Folic acid can prevent what are called neural tube defects, you know, these spinal abnormalities. Mm -hmm. I'm generally a proponent of getting your nutrients through food, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, for example, you know, tomatoes in certain studies have been shown to be good for you for various reasons, mm -hmm. right? And a tomato is red. And mm. we think tomatoes are red in part because it has something called lycopene in it. Mm. And you can buy lycopene pills, right? I would just say eat the tomato because <laughs> not only does it have lycopene, it probably has a hundred other things in there that we just don't even know are in there and uh -huh. how it works together. So don't just assume that if you can, frankly, just pop a bunch of pills, vitamin A, C, E, this, this, this. Yeah that you're going to get that same effect. You probably won't. And there's actually some studies that have shown that excesses of certain vitamins can be harmful. Uh, now you're, 
you tell me I should be taking my multivitamin. I'm not saying don't take your multivitamin. Let's circle back to that. I think your multivitamin is fine, uh. but I don't think you're going to be getting potassium at a level that's going to improve your cardiovascular health through your multivitamin. Okay. All right. You're, you're sort of shattering all my dreams and hopes. So Mark. Sorry. You talked, you talked a little bit about some foods that you think are particularly help, healthful and fruits and vegetables. Any ones that really stand out? Like if, you know, if you're starting maybe from scratch with somebody who's slow, let's say like me, who has a sub-ideal diet and you're, you're trying to help wean me into a better diet and you want me to start with the most beneficial foods uh, as baby steps, where, what would you recommend? Where should I start? It's a great question. It probably depends on what your diet is now. Mm -hmm. So like I'm going to make an assumption that may or may not be true. Just go with it, which is let's say you have a decent amount of bread per day. I would say transition to a bread that's a whole grain bread. So it just fits with this whole food concept, less refined sugars, right? So this idea is that refined sugars, which are not natural sugars, let's say white bread, you know, nature didn't create white bread and ingredients for <laughs> it, right? Uh, I, I, that's, that's blasphemy. I, I believe the good folks at Wonder were there uh, at creation. Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but white bread, you know, when you, when you eat it, it hits your bloodstream. That blood sugar goes up and down and, you know, it creates a whole bunch of problems versus if, you know, pick your multigrain bread of choice seven grain, nine grain, whole wheat, whatever is your fancy, I would say transition to that, right? And so, you know, if we were working together, we had to look at your diet because I believe you probably, it would be hard for you or anybody else to just wholesale change his or her diet overnight. Or even if you did, I'd have doubts as to whether you'd stick to that three months from now, right? Humans are creatures of habit. So I would say, let's look at what you're doing and where could we substitute or change and actually have that be a durable change that makes you feel good, that tastes good to you, and then actually becomes a part of your life. And, and I hear about superfoods. I, I think of blueberries as the one that sticks to my mind. Are these, you know, are these things you recommend to, to folks? So you should, if, you know, should I be getting more blueberries in my diet? Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't know if something is a superfood and or a less than superfood, <laughs> but I'd say, yeah, go for it. Blueberries are good for you or acai or goji berries yeah. or whatever or flax or whatever is your superfood of choice. Yeah. I think they're all probably good for you. Right. And so, you know, you know, for my my two kids, like I try and make smoothies for them and I find that's a great place to put some of this stuff. Right. So a smoothie for them might be banana blueberries, almond butter, almond milk, a little bit of honey because I know they like it. It is a sugar, but you know, it's overall good for them. And I might put a little bit of flax or something like that in there. And if they drink it, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back for a second. I'm thinking about all these foods and remembering some food myths. Uh, we talked about sort of the old myths about all fat being bad. What about eggs? Eggs, I remember for a while, they were, they were labeled as little mini cholesterol bombs and, and were sinful. Should we, should we avoid eggs? Eggs have, it's a great one you bring up. Eggs have gone back and forth. Huh. And Where so, are we now? Are they, are they in or out now? Uh, they're mostly out. Oh! <laughs> On a limited bit. I think a limited is fine, right? So there used to be, as you point out, cholesterol bombs. That is the reality that there is a lot of cholesterol in that. That hasn't changed. Eggs are still eggs. The question <laughs> is, are they healthful or not, right? And so I think it's pretty clear that the whites of eggs are. So really, at the end of the day, it comes down to the yolk, hmm. right? The yolk is, is the questionable piece. Yeah, because it has the cholesterol on top okay. of it. And right. so, you know, initially it was probably 
increases your cholesterol and fat, it increases your risk of heart attack and stroke. And then there were some studies that say, no, it may not. And now there's some new studies that say, yeah, it probably does. And so I think it's, to me, it's almost like a buyer beware, which is there's enough data there to suggest it might be unhealthful, right? For at least from a heart attack, stroke, cholesterol perspective. But I don't think we can say for sure, this is not something you should do. You should, you should take. So it's like a lot of things in life. There's gray. People like certainty one way or the other. I do. But the reality is gray. All of us do. So eat your eggs, but right. probably in moderation. All right. I, uh, I thought I was going to get a better answer out of that. I thought eggs were back in. I missed the cycling of them uh, into grayer territory. Better is in the eye of the beholder. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, let's shift away from foods. I, I hear a lot about EKGs, which I don't even know that really stands for. What's an EKG? Is it something I should my, you know, ask a doctor for or talk to my, my senior citizen parents about getting for themselves? What, what is that? Right. An EKG or ECG, as some people call it, mm-hmm. it's the same thing as an electrocardiogram. The E is electro, C is the cardio, and G is the gram. It's one of those tests where you know, there's a number of what are called leads put on your chest, these little stickers that go on your chest with wires. And essentially, it's measuring the electrical activity from within the heart. Hmm. So the heart is a muscle, but the muscle knows to beat and contract every second because of, frankly, electrical impulses that our body manufactures within it. And those impulses are read by this EKG. And so the recommendation on an ECG or EKG or electrocardiogram now is that it's not actually recommended as just a yearly test that people should get. Now, there are people who should get it, but it's not just because you're an older adult, you should get your EKG. It could be because you have cardiovascular risk or you're experiencing symptoms that may relate to the heart or you've already had heart problems. And so you should get regular ECGs or EKGs, but it isn't a task that just because you're older, you're supposed to. Oh, it's funny. I thought this was one of those things that congratulations, you're 60 years old, now you, you get your annual EKG. No, not the case. Nope. Huh. So the, and the real body there that makes those recommendations is something called the uh, U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. And, you know, <laughs> it's a bunch of people. are a lot of fun. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and they produce all these documents that they look at all the data and say, given all the data, our interpretation on screening tests or preventative tests like an EKG is, should definitely do it, essentially, should definitely not do it, or something in between. And for EKGs, it should not do it unless there's you know, huh. some special circumstances in play. How do, how do I know then? So let's, you know, I'm, let's, uh, I'm worried about my, my senior citizen parents, or I'm a senior myself. How, how, what are some of the warning signs for me that I should be more concerned about my heart? Is, what, should I, what should prompt me to want to make an appointment with my doctor or my nurse practitioner? Definitely, if you're experiencing symptoms that might relate to your heart, that's mm. definitely a reason to speak, mm. heart, speak to heart, provide. Heartburn, one of them, or is that not? Is that am I, is that a misnomer? No. Well, I think well, heartburn oftentimes it's hard to know what that's from, uh. right? It could be from like an ulcer, what we call gastritis or indigestion, but sometimes heartburn could feel like a heart attack, uh. right? And so. I think, you know, if there are a bunch, you know, there's a range of symptoms. So if you're ever having discomfort in your chest, right. And I use the word discomfort intentionally because, you know, some people have heard of the term chest pain, but sometimes it's not pain. Mm. Someone's like, well, I feel like a pressure on my chest or I feel this or that we're all different. And it could be a harbinger of some heart related problem, even if it's not quote unquote pain, right. We all interpret our bodies differently. 
So that's why I'm saying discomfort. So chest discomfort, you know, or palpitations, which are a fluttering in your heart or your heart racing. Everyone has a different way of saying it, right? It's something just weird going on in your chest or you're more short of breath, right? You were able to walk up that hill or climb that flight of stairs and now something something is different. It just feels like you're winded. Going, I mean, all those could be heart related. I think you don't need to see a cardiologist for that, but you do need to see a provider. It could be a nurse practitioner, it could be a physician, but a doctor, I think, in general, is qualified uh, to do that first level assessment. All right. So, uh, and and if I'm if I'm healthy and I see my provider on a annual basis. But I'm a senior citizen. Anything special I need to ask for, or are they? Are they? You know, when they get the stethoscope, stethoscope out, are they, are they? When they listen to my heart, is that is that the level of monitoring that I need? I think that is. Okay. I don't think you need to ask for any uh, specific tests. Now, I think there are tests that your provider should do. It doesn't have to be every year. Mm-hmm. I mean, in general, you should have a cholesterol checked. You know, every year you should have at least a blood pressure checked. You know, you should. I think it's reasonable every year to have a blood sugar test. Those are, but the cholesterol and the blood sugar are literal blood draws. I they're literally blood draws, uh-huh. and the blood pressures where they strap that cuff right. on your arm, right. and that's checking to see if you have any risk factors for heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, or high cholesterol. Got it. And so, why you don't necessarily need tests looking deep in the heart if you're not experiencing anything. We do want to make sure that your regular health is okay, and that if you do have any of those chronic conditions, that it's well managed. So when 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 my nurse practitioner tells me to go to the lab and she gives me that piece of paper and I shouldn't let it sit around for six months, I should actually go and get the blood drawn. Yeah, I would recommend that. <laughs> Good advice. Thank you. Uh, we've been talking today with Dr. Kumar Damarajan. He is Clover Health's chief scientific officer. He's a geriatric cardiologist. Thank you, Kumar. Thanks for listening to the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health. If you like what you heard, Please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to share with your friends and family. For more information about Clover, visit www.cloverhealth.com.